An Irish independent digital subscription doesn't just get you the news. It gets you the best of Ireland's stories all in one place. Whether it's the best of politics, business, sport, entertainment or lifestyle. Get it all for just €4 Euro a month for 12 months when you first subscribe. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply. Cancel any time. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by trichologist Claire Fulham, chatting all things hair loss. I remember then going, I'm losing a bit more hair. Like I could see hair everywhere. It was all okay. over my desk oh, wow. and work okay. everywhere. And so I went to my GP. She found five big patches on my scalp, one the size of my fist. So I was like, right, what am I going to do about this? Give me a plan. She just looked me dead in the eye and said, there's nothing you can do. I went on list for dermatologists. She had a cancellation and she very quickly said, yes, you have alopecia areata. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hundreds of police officers faced down a swarm of rioters in central Dublin. The mob of about 100 setting fire to buses and police vehicles and looting more than a dozen businesses. My, my name has been desperately sullied. I think my reputation has been sullied. I'm deeply upset. I'm hurt. I am in... I'm... I'm it's hard to leave the house if you really, really want me to be honest about it. Ashley was a vibrant, intelligent and highly motivated young woman and she was the epitome of a perfect role model for every little girl to look up to and strive to be. And the Oscar goes to an Irish goodbye. Tom Berkeley and Ross White. Hey, Barbie. Yeah. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Steve Morrow scores this bout 96 to 94. Both for your winner by majority decision. Today on the Indo Daily, a news wrap of 2023. We're going to approach this episode of the Indo Daily slightly differently in that I'm still Kevin Doyle, but on this one occasion, I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Fionan Sheehan, Ellen Coyne and Tabitha Monaghan. And we're going to look back at some of the biggest stories that we have covered on the podcast over the past year. I don't think there's any doubting the story of the year. It started with a hunch or a tip-off in June and it's still rolling. RTE. It started out as a pretty innocuous year. RTE were announcing their top 10 best paid stars, which always gets gets great uh, airplay uh, over the course of the year. And this was showing back in February that that stars pay was coming down across the board. Ryan Tuberty was being paid 50 grand uh, less and Dee Forbes, the then Director General of RTE, was, was hailing this reduction uh, across the board. 
And then there was a few other things that kind of kicked in. Ryan Tuberty announced that that he was going to be departing from the Late Late Show. So there was all the speculation about who's going to replace him. And there was a long goodbye and great tributes for him. Let me just finish by saying good night, good luck, thank you. And a, and a line I used to say a lot, and I'll say it one last time. Mind yourselves and mind each other. D4 was always winding up and he was she was being replaced by Kevin Backhurst, who was in RTE previously. And that was all grand. And then in June, all these events came together when we suddenly learned that D4s was leaving a little bit early. And that was a bit curious. And then we've heard that there was some sort of investigation going on into something that happened during COVID-19 and there were there were payments and there had been a big investigation by one of the biggest law firms in the country, one of the biggest county firms in the country. And then it all blew up when we discovered this all related to Ryan Tuberty, RTE's highest paid star. Uh, and it pretty much did roll from there. Uh, and I know uh, the high regard in which you're held uh, and the respect people have for you, including kids who are wondering why the toy man is being in the news uh, so much. So what started out as kind of a financial management and accounting issue and a corporate governance uh, matter turned into, yeah, as you said, the drama of the year uh, for RTE, which is still rolling on because you've large numbers of people now refusing uh, to to pay for their, their TV license. There has been a massive clear out at the top levels uh, of, of RTE management. And coming to the end of the year, Ryan Tuberty is gone from RTE completely. D Forbes is gone uh, after leaving, then being suspended, then resigning completely. We've had several other management tiers gone out and we now have got basically a scenario where 400 less staff are going to be working in RTE uh, as a result uh, of this fallout. But in the meantime, we had spectacular drama during the summer as the fairly innocuous Eroctus Media Committee became better than Fair City, Dallas and EastEnders all rolled uh, into one. This is a 39-page document. This came into our Microsoft Teams account this morning uh, at 8.23, uh, if I'm correct. That's not that much time to go no, through 29 pages. I understand. And I, and Can you I, accept, just one second. Yes. Can you accept how that's, it's not physically possible for anybody here to comprehensively go through that yeah. information? Uh, it has been a torturous three weeks. No, Wait, I no, no, that. please, I, I do, please allow me to finish I, I, the I, sentence. Unfortunately, no, no, but unfortunately, you have to, this, what's gone missing in the last three weeks. Just briefly. Is, is, just, is, here, like, forgive me. Yeah, just briefly. There's just been a humanity a bypass a bit here. So that created stars in its own right. Neve Smith, the Fianna Fáil TD for, for Cavan Monaghan, has ended the year as one of the most high-profile representatives. She chaired those, those committee meetings quite fabulously. We had comical moments uh, involving the likes of, of Matthew McGrath uh, asking... Who are you lying to? Quite simple. Who am I lying to? The board. Who are you lying to? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't... Experience the government... People pay the licenses. I ask again, who are you lying to? Who, who, who are you supposed to sell to? Can I just ask one question? Who are we lying to about what? Lying to. Loyal to. Loyal. Sorry. Loyal. I didn't accuse right. you of lying. Loyal, loyal, loyal. Matthew McGrath, who I understand everything he's saying, other people have difficulty oh, with that. Uh, uh, asking uh, D4 executives uh, who you're loyal to, and they won't, they're not quite 
uh, understanding uh, what it was that he was he was saying. We had Ryan Tuberty's own seven hours of testimony alongside his agent, uh, Noel Kelly, where he pleaded uh, his defence. We then had a situation where Ryan Tuberty, over the course of a dramatic 48 hours, seemed to be exonerated on half the accusations that were put against him, but was then chucked out of RT completely 24 hours later because he was arguing he was wholly innocent of everything. And now, such was the interest as well that pubs across the country were showing the Oireachtas hearings as well. So you knew people were interested in watching the drama unfold if the pubs were going to be shown it instead of the matches as well. It, it had got into the zeitgeist. Yeah. Ellen, I think it's very appropriate that you're wearing green because there were hints of this there because this time last year, I was getting complaints um, about you being the Christmas Grinch who was trying to destroy Toy Show the Musical. People in RT were very, very defensive at that stage. We now know that they lost two million on that. Yeah, a vindicated Grinch, if I'm any kind of Grinch <laughs> at all. Because around this time last year, we were getting rumblings that um, Toy Show the Musical was basically the stage adaptation of probably the most adored television event in the country. And RTE, for reasons we can understand, tried to capitalise on that turning, by turning it into a stage show. But two weeks before opening night, we were getting rumblings that ticket sales had been underwhelming, which ended up being the understatement of the century. So I put in a number of FOI requests flatly refused by RTE, who cited um, commercial sensitivities, which is a handy one. It's often trotted out by a lot of FOI offices across the country. And then in the wake of the payment scandal, focus went back on Toy Show the Musical and the likes of the Public Accounts Committee were kind of asking, well, let's kind of, if we're going to talk about the waste of public money or the perceived waste of public money at RTE, let's go back to this. Uh, Suddenly the commercial sensitivity excuse faded like snow on the ditch. And we found out that Toy Show the Musical had lost 2.2 million, had only managed to sell 11,000 tickets and has probably affected the ability of RTE to ever go into the live event space again. And um, your heart would go out to the next producer who's tasked with doing the next big RTE live stage adaption after the, the mess that that one descended into. Ryan Tuberty, the musical, though, would go I would well buy tickets for that. Yeah. Yeah. I would That's buy a, that'd be that. a bored gosh bestseller, yeah. <laughs> full, full summer season exactly, uh, yeah. to run. Tabitha, if RTE was the biggest story of the year in terms of how long it ran, probably the most impactful story of the year was the Dublin riots. Yeah, definitely. And impactful would have been the word that I would have used as well. And it's, it's so much so that even though there was two events really that happened on the 23rd of November. It was the three children and the crash worker who were injured in a knife attack outside uh, Gwalesgold Colossian Wera on Parnell Square. That happened and naturally and, you know, understandably, there was an awful lot of emotion after that. A lot of confusion, what had happened, why it happened. There was an awful lot going on in a very short space of time. And even speaking to colleagues after who went down to cover and see what was going on, that was about half past one in the afternoon. By that point, there was already a lot of tension, understandably so. But it was more with a political slant. There was people coming out and they were, it was maybe anti-immigration, political, anti-establishment anger that was happening. Um, at that time. But what happened then was that that was overshadowed by what came after that. And I think by about five o'clock that that evening, what happened was that more people started joining, about 200 people. And it became very angry, very aggressive. And then, like you said, turned into the Dublin riots. 
Hundreds of police officers face down a swarm of rioters in central Dublin, the mob of about 100 setting fire to buses and police vehicles and looting more than a dozen businesses. Ireland's police commissioner called the violence disgraceful and said far-right groups were responsible. We have a complete lunatic hooligan faction uh, driven by far-right uh, ideology. We saw Gardaí attacked. We saw the riot police out in force on the, on the streets of Dublin. But these people, they started looting. They started setting buses and a Lewis on fire. Some people are, are attaching this to the far right, but I don't think any political ideology is going to be furthered by stealing runners in a footlocker. So you have to separate those out. So you did possibly have that far right element in the earlier stages of that day, but it definitely turned into something very into something different. Else. Of course, Tabitha, the political fallout from all of this was huge. There was a no-confidence motion in Helen McEntee. Fine Gael and Sinn Féin went at it, total loggerheads over who was better for law and order. And then Ellen, Conor McGregor threatened us with running for president. Yeah, uh, a kind of unlikely um, kind of after effect of it. But at the peak of the riots, Gardaí had lost control of Dublin. Conor McGregor took to Twitter and started putting out some uh, kind of controversial, and I think some people would describe as extreme commentary. The real nation of Ireland is fed up with you people inside that uh, doll. And change is coming. Change is coming for the benefit of Ireland, for the progression of Ireland. We have had enough and it is time our nation stands up. So stay ready. Obviously, he's a very, very high-profile person. So immediately afterwards, he got a lot of attention, not just from people who would kind of be anti-immigrant or maybe on the far right in Ireland, but across the world and particularly in the US. And I think the attention proved quite captivating for him. And he seems to have wanted to try to capitalize on it. So he's um, making veiled and also not so veiled threats to try to enter the realm of politics, uh, sometimes in kind of incoherent language where he seems to kind of think that he would be kind of like master of Ireland's government. And we would be subjected to weekly votes to just kind of make sure that we're all still in after adoration of our new leader. On but, Twitter, uh, presumably. On Twitter or yeah. X or whatever it's called now. Um, I'd be loath to laugh because I laughed when Donald Trump uh, first kind of suggests that he was entering politics as well. So unfortunately, we know that stranger and much worse things have happened. I'd argue he's not the maddest person to run for uh, yeah. for uh, president, president in, in so history. Yeah. Like, you know, there, there, yeah. have, there have been other people who you've looked at their campaigns going, what on earth are you doing in the ballot paper? Yeah, he couldn't make the campaign any more chaotic than some of the campaigns we've had already. Well, speaking of the political fallout and the rows over justice this year, down the courts, it has been an incredibly busy year. We had the longest murder trial in the history of the state down the Special Criminal Court with the monk, Jerry Hutch, up for the Regency Hotel attack and the murder of David Byrne. Fionn, two remarkable things. One was that the judge ultimately said, well, they believed that the Hutch criminal gang was behind what happened in the Regency Hotel. The Gardaí, the prosecution, had not proven that the monk himself was actually there on that day and took part in it. So he walked free. Jerry Hutch walks free from court, acquitted of one of Ireland's most notorious murders. the court's decision, Jerry. Jerry, what's your plan now? Are you going to stay in Ireland? That was quite extraordinary. The other one was that the biggest or that certainly the biggest headline witness at the whole thing was a former 
Sinn Féin councillor who basically put forward a large part of the def- of the prosecution case only for the judge to declare him a liar. Jonathan Dowdall was of enormous interest because of who he was in terms of someone who, who had turned on the Hutch organisation was now giving evidence in return for going into the, the witness protection programme and also because of who he was politically. He was Mary Lou MacDonald's protégé a decade ago in her Dublin Central constituency. If it wasn't for this double life that he was leading, we may well be talking about him now as a potential future minister in a Sinn Féin government. But what came across in that trial was just astonishment that this person could actually rise up through any political organisation, to be quite frank. He was not a coherent witness. He certainly wasn't credible, nor was he charismatic. So it was difficult to see how exactly he rose up. We also learned from recorded conversations between Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch as they were travelling up to Northern Ireland to deal with dissident uh, Republicans that Jonathan Dowdall spoke about his time in Sinn Féin, his his general off-top-of-his-head political views. But he disclosed that in the run-up to the local elections where he he ran as a Sinn Féin candidate in 2014, that he says he was questioned by Sinn Féin officials about his involvement in the shooting up of his uncle's house. All along, Sinn Féin had told us we had no inkling, to use Mary Lou MacDonald's phrases, that Jonathan Dowdall had any involvement in criminality whatsoever. Uh, had we known um, that uh, he was involved in any form of criminality, and I have to say I was profoundly shocked, as were many, many others, to discover his criminal activity. He wouldn't have been anywhere near Sinn Féin. Wouldn't have been anywhere near me or anybody, anybody else. Sinn Féin said that he brought this up, that that he discussed it, that they never questioned him uh, about such manners. So we did, we were able to piece a timeline together. Jonathan Dowdall, a shooting at his uncle's house, Sinn Féin questioning him on it. Then his subsequent election as a as a as a Sinn Féin candidate, as a councillor. Then trouble within the ranks in Sinn Féin with Jonathan Dowdall. Jonathan Dowdall torturing a man. And then at one stage, Jonathan Dowdall waterboarded you. Yes, he did, a number of times. And then um, shaving, did did they actually shave your head with an electric razor? Yes, they did. And then Jonathan Dowdall leaving Sinn Féin and politics. And there's still unanswered questions about that two-year period, who knew what and when. So we certainly got that matter fleshed out a bit more, thanks to the Special Criminal Court. And as we saw in the recent no-confidence motion over Helen McEntee, it is likely to be a political hammer, I guess, that Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil will beat Sinn Féin with for some time to come as we head into election season in 2024. I want to also ask, one of the other big court cases of the year was Molly Martin's, um, the family of Jason Corbett, spending two weeks in America to see Tom and Molly Martin sent back to jail for killing him, but not for very long. Molly Corbett and her father, Thomas Martins, will spend more time in prison. A judge in Davidson County sentenced the pair to four to six years, but they will only serve seven months to two years after getting credit for the three years and eight months 
that they have already served. Yeah, so you had this timeline of Jason Corbett at the age of just 39 being beaten to death with a, a baseball bat and a concrete slab at his home in North Carolina back in 2015. And his wife and father-in-law then being convicted of that two years later for murder, that being overturned uh, on appeal. Then they were coming back to court in the autumn and a plea bargain. We'd all be familiar with plea bargain deals much in law and order and and so on uh, in the American justice system, whereby the second degree murder count was dropped for effectively manslaughter, was effectively deterred. And what it turned into was basically the Martins putting Jason Corbett, a man that they had killed, on trial, depicting him as an abuser, as a bully, as someone who was controlling and, and who, was, who was miserly. And basically, slurs being cast upon this dead man who was in no position, obviously, to defend himself. And what we saw at the tail end of that trial was, was quite remarkable. His children... Teenagers, Jack, 19, and Sarah, 17, coming to their father's defense, depicting him as a, as a loving father. And ultimately, they did manage to reclaim their, their father's legacy as a result of that startling victim impact statement that they delivered in courtroom number six uh, in Davidson County Court. The kids worry every day someone they love could be taken away, just like Jason and just like their birth mother. Jack and Sarah blamed Molly and Thomas for taking away their father. They describe abuse at the hands of Molly and how she broke them by taking away their dad. And we saw that ultimately, yeah, the, the Martins were, were sent back to jail, albeit for a shorter time period than what is expected. Incredibly hard year for that family. Ellen, tell me about Enoch Burke. He has spent an incredible amount of time in prison over the last year. His family have spent an incredible amount of time in court, often disrupting the court. It's one of those stories that I think a lot of people have laughed at. We've seen all the memes, we've seen all the the jokes in the WhatsApp groups, um, but it's also an incredibly serious story and, and a sad story too because he has spent a lot of time in Mountjoy Jail. It's being told to Enoch, often from exasperated members of the judiciary, is that it is within his control to get out of prison. All he needs to do is vow that he will not keep returning to, to his, the, the, his former workplace, the school in Westmeath. And I suppose there's kind of um, a gap between the way that Enoch wants to tell this story and the way that the story is perceived. He's kind of desperate to get across that he has kind of been arrested for refusing to use the right pronouns, which is like an enduring fear among some conservatives and some on the right that, you know, there's this kind of liberal plot to make it illegal to not use the correct uh, pronouns, regardless of your own personal views on trans issues. We do have a right to disagree with transgenderism. Everybody in this country has a right to disagree with that. I suppose there was kind of a very... Uh, illuminating moment, I think late last year when I think a member of the Westboro Baptist Church actually wanted to separate himself from Enoch Burke and was kind of saying that, yeah, 
totally agrees with his political ideologies and the reason that this controversy started in the first place. But he kind of draws the line at being dragged out of the courts by members of the Gardaí, refusing to listen to the judiciary. And I suppose that any time uh, Enoch or members of his family have been in court, even if they were, in, whether it was a disciplinary hearing at his school or it was uh, a high court or an appeal, it has always been like a blockbuster story because um, they certainly never go quietly. Fionnán, the state is in a bit of a crux here because as Ellen outlines, this isn't actually about his refusal to, to use certain pronouns. It actually is to do with him being told to stay away from the school and various orders from the court. If he refuses to give in to the court orders, the only remedy they have is jail. It was previously said by a judge that he was using jail to his own ends, basically to promote his cause. So that wasn't working either. There was racking up fines in the tens of thousands. Uh, no sign of of that having any impact either. It's like the state is kind of caught, isn't it? Yeah, and you know justice needs to be seen to be done as well. I mean, if if ultimately you have a, a judge handing down instructions to an individual to act in a particular manner, then the state has to be seen to enforce that. In the background as well, you've got a school that is trying to go about its business in, in Wilson's Hospital Secondary School, trying to educate kids when basically this distraction is going on at some points in the corridors of the school and at all the time right outside the gate. So extremely difficult position for everybody concerned and probably does draw into question, well, what exactly do you do when somebody thinks they can outmaneuver the law? It strikes me that all the stories we've been talking about are going to go into 2024. But I think we should finish on something a little bit lighter because it has been a very heavy year, we have to admit. Um, Bill O'Herley, he used to have the old trick when he was presenting the football, whereby he pretended that he knew nothing about football to let Eamon Dunphy and Johnny Giles <laughs> seem like the experts and get the colour out of them. So the real story was Barbie versus Oppenheimer. Now, I admit I have seen neither of them, so I'm going to defer to your expertise for which was better. Well, I only saw one and oh. I, I chose Barbie. Uh, okay. And it was, I really enjoyed it. I didn't go and see it in the cinema. Uh, it was just rammed at any time I tried to book a ticket. So I waited until it came, came out and I watched it on the TV at home. I really enjoyed it. It was Barbie, it was light, it was frivolous. And then Oppenheimer, which was so dark and so serious, you know, and historical and based on a true story. It was a marketing genius that they, I think both films really embraced that competitiveness and it worked out for both of them. Ellen? Oh, I was at an 8am screening the first day that Barbie came out in full pink. It was actually at something I regularly wear to work, but it was described as a costume by the cinema staff. I don't really know what that was about. But um, I absolutely loved it. I came out of it and kind of understand why men get so boring when they talk about Goodfellas. It's just nice to enjoy something in 2023 that doesn't have to have like huge critical analysis yeah. going with it. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Ken. I can. I can. I can. I can. I got us both ice cream. Cool. I think it's nice to kind of have like event cinema again. We've been talking about a year that was really serious. Having something like Barbie to just go, okay, this is chewing gum. This is going to be something enjoyable. Okay, it was Greta Gerwig and she tried her best. I don't know what you thought, but she really pushed it in terms of the self-discovery kind of storyline with Barbie. It was what it was. It was very commercial, but at the same time, you could just go in and enjoy it and know that you weren't going to be challenged for three hours and having to think and ponder after it. I think that's what a lot of people needed this year. 
Fiannan, is it going to be 3-0 for Barbie? <laughs> no, I, I was at an 8 p.m. screening screening of uh, Oppenheimer in a fedora hat with a cigarette <laughs> and a full suit and tie. Um, the remarkable thing is that while I would appreciate the, the historical context of World War II and, and the, the moral conundrums that, that Oppenheimer's story threw up, actually what's had the greater social impact uh, has been Barbie because there have been opinion polls over recent months that, that people now have a greater understanding of women in, in the workplace, that, that a woman's uh, search for identity and, and so on. So you would have thought a, a war movie that that presents a that moral question mark in your head in the current climate of, of Russia, China, the, the re-emergence of Cold Wars and so on and so forth, you think, oh, that'll be the one that'll resonate with people. But actually, no, it was the nice fluffy pink movie. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona and Ellen and Tabitha. 2023 has been a tough year. War raged, tragedy struck, and as a country, we sometimes struggle to figure out what's next. But there were plenty of lighter moments too. Of course, some things stayed the same. We did rubbish at the Eurovision. But on the international stage, our musicians were still top as U2 reinvented concerts in Las Vegas. We did rubbish at the Rugby World Cup, but we won the Grand Slam in the Six Nations. And on paper, we're in recession But in reality, the economy is powering ahead. As we continued to adjust to a post-Brexit, post-Boris world, Michael D. Higgins and Leo Varadkar became the first president and Taoiseach to attend a coronation. And it all went really well, until Leo's partner, Matt Barrett, started making some risque jokes on Instagram. There were rumours that the newly crowned King Charles might come for a visit. That didn't materialise, but the teetotal Joe Biden did and took part in a bit of a pub crawl around Ireland. Perhaps drunk on enthusiasm, he ended up shouting mayo for Sam from a podium in Balna. It didn't work. And Dublin were back on top in the football while Limerick were hurling kings again. In politics, the rise of Sinn Féin continued while the Social Democrats put Holly Carnes front and centre. It was the scenes outside Leinster House, though, that grabbed the most headlines as the far right forced their way onto the agenda, bringing a noose to the doll as part of a nasty protest. And it was a year of difficult court cases, none more so than the trial for Ashley Murphy's murder, where Joseph Puska was eventually convicted after forcing her family to sit through an 18-day trial. Storms Agnes, Babette and Kieran made their impact but it was Debbie who inflicted the most damage, as experts warned we're now seeing the tangible effects of the climate emergency. Irish movie stars dominated the red carpet at the Oscars with 14 nominations, including for the Banshees of Inish Erin and on Colleen Kuhn. Our big names all left empty-handed, but a star was born when James Martin celebrated his birthday with a statue for the short film An Irish Goodbye. The Rose of Tralee got a female host, with Catherine Thomas taking to the stage alongside Dahi O'Shea. And women's sport got its day in the sun too, as our footballers made a first World Cup appearance and Katie Taylor found her form again to become the undisputed world champion. As Russia's war on Ukraine continued, the numbers forced to seek refuge here surpassed 100,000 and then another war erupted in the Middle East. October 7 will go down in history 
as a day of horror when Hamas murdered, raped and kidnapped Israelis. And in response, Israel started a campaign to wipe out the terrorist group. But many, including Irish politicians, felt the civilian death toll in Gaza was too much. And then there were the goodbyes. The Irish music industry seemed to suffer more than most in 2023, as Christy Dignam, Sinead O'Connor and Shane McGowan left the stage. But it was clear from the public outpouring that they also left their mark on Ireland. One of the stranger stories of the year was the Wexford cocaine boat. When a small trawler wedged off a sandbank on the east coast, led Gardaí to find 157 million euro of cocaine on a mothership near Cork. We cover them all here on the Indo Daily, and you've listened. So, from our studio here on Dublin's Talbot Street to wherever you get your podcasts, thank you. And let's hope that 2024 will be the year that we've all been waiting for. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Lower and once you're in a Donald Donaldson Lish and the Fagoxian, I can near Lower Jeffrey the Dunyerby. Me head will policy Shachan, Ian Rodiana, and I wear a stad car Leshnabaj Bogashoot. Skilty, Fis, Turmi. Nimajigiri and Dram Honyal Ama, Tamajigiri, Munchen Honyal Esta. Shachtan, find us on all the usual podcast platforms. <laughs>